You're listening to the Paleo NP podcast, episode number 14. Welcome to the Paleo NP podcast. I'm Martha, a family nurse practitioner and creator of MarthaFlorence.com. I live in Anchorage, Alaska with my boyfriend and fur children. I'm here to share my take on integrative health, nutrition, and fitness, answer your questions, and talk with health and wellness experts. You can submit your questions at MarthaFlorence.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Remember that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Paleo NP podcast. I can't wait to talk about protein, carbs, and fat today. The only quick announcement I have is that there may or may not be a new episode coming out next week. I'll be in Hawaii. And if you're listening to this episode when it initially comes out, I'm actually already in Hawaii, but I was able to record this one before I left. Anyway, I am not sure if I'll be able to record an episode or not. And if I don't, I will definitely be sure to make sure the next one is extra good to reward you for your patience and understanding. I've also got a couple of awesome guests lined up for the next few weeks, and I'm really, really excited to get those episodes out because they are going to be fantastic. So let's get into protein, carbs, and fat. First, I want to say that what we're not talking about today is how many grams of protein, carbs, and fat you should be eating every day. Because while I definitely think that macro counting has a time and a place, making general recommendations doesn't work when it comes to this stuff. So that's something that you would want to work with someone on. And yes, work with a real person. Don't use an online calculator because those aren't particularly accurate. If you're interested in more about how macros might work for you, email me because I would love to chat about it. Also, just to be clear, calorie counting is also not something I'm a fan of. At a certain point, calories do matter, and I think we've talked about this before, but it's much more a much more complicated issue than calories in versus calories out. So that's not at all what we're talking about today. What are we talking about today? I am going to dive into why protein, carbs, and fats are all important for your body and hopefully help you understand why we shouldn't be afraid of certain groups of macronutrients because they are all important. There are cases where more or less of any of them may be a good thing, as well as people who should be careful about what balance they're getting, but in general, you need all three of them to survive. And I'm just going to say this because I've seen a lot of people talking about zero carbs lately. And while that might work for some people, it's definitely not a general recommendation that I would want to make. So if you eat a zero carb diet and you want to send me an angry email because I said that people need carbs, please don't. All right, cool. So macronutrients. What the heck is a macro? Macro is short for macronutrients. And according to Wikipedia, which... I fully recognize is not the best site to reference, but it was an easy one to find and had a definition that I liked, so I'm going to use it. But if you are writing a paper for school, please don't cite Wikipedia. Anyway, according to the definition in Wikipedia, macronutrients are a class of chemical compounds which humans consume in the largest quantities and provide a bulk of energy. 
So every food falls under one or more of these categories of protein, carbohydrate, or fat. Some can fit into multiple categories depending on how much of each macro is present. Also, don't confuse these with micronutrients, which refers to the vitamins and minerals that we get from our food and also need to survive, but those do not provide us with energy. So let's start with protein. My guess is that when I say protein, you probably think of protein bars and protein powder and maybe a big, huge, muscly meathead at the gym. But in reality, everybody needs protein. And eating protein while also lifting weights will not make you a big buff meathead. For all the ladies out there who think that they're going to get bulky from lifting weights and eating protein, have you ever seen how much a bodybuilder eats? You've got to get a lot of protein to get and keep muscles that big. So protein is made up of chains of amino acids, and there are 20 different kinds of these amino acids. So those amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. And some of these are considered essential, which means that we have to get them from our food. And others are non-essential, which means that our bodies can make them from other things and we don't need to rely on food to get them. There are also some amino acids that are essential if you have certain diseases. So under normal circumstances, your body will make them and they are non-essential. But if you have certain health conditions, these conditional amino acids become essential because your body doesn't make them on its own because it doesn't have the right building blocks. So why do we need protein? Well, all of your cells are made up of proteins. So you need proteins to repair your cells and in order to make new ones. Protein is important in helping you to feel satiated after your meals. It helps with blood sugar regulation. It can help you with your weight loss goals. And it's important for growth. So it helps you to build those big bulky meathead muscles. And it's also necessary for growing kids to actually grow. And it's really important in repair of cells and tissue when you have any sort of injury or if you've had surgery. And I want to make something clear here. While getting your protein from things like grass-fed and pasture-raised animals is far better than getting it elsewhere, you should not let this stop you from making sure that you're getting plenty of proteins from animal sources. The protein that you get from animal sources are all complete proteins, meaning that they contain all nine essential amino acids, and they are more easily digestible than the protein that you would get from plants. So it's a more efficient use of your body's time and energy to get your protein from animals than it is to try to get get it from fats. That's not to say that it's impossible, it's just more efficient. And before you tell me that you aren't going to eat meat because meat causes cancer, be sure that you listen to episode number eight because I talk about how, yes, meat actually does cause cancer. And in this case, the quality of the meat doesn't necessarily matter. But if you make sure to eat plenty of vegetables along with it, it negates most of the cancer-causing aspects. So while there are certainly health benefits to choosing high-quality, grass-fed, pasture-raised meats, please do not let that keep you from eating a paleo diet or from getting plenty of animal protein in your diet. Protein isn't stored by the body because it's not really used for energy. There may be some very small portion of total protein intake that is converted into energy, but not a significant amount. So this means that it's important to eat protein almost every day. 
This doesn't need to be a huge amount, but if you aren't eating enough protein for the needs of your body, then your body won't be able to regulate your blood sugar. You'll probably feel hungry all the time. You won't repair injuries or be able to build any muscle. We've already touched on this a little bit, but animal protein is the easiest for your body to digest and absorb and get the nutrients that it needs out of your food and into your cells. So examples of protein sources from animals would be meat, fish, eggs, and some dairy. There are also some sources of plant proteins, but as I mentioned earlier, plant proteins are not complete proteins, which means that they don't contain the nine essential amino acids and they aren't as bioavailable. So it's harder for your body to get the nutrients, the amino acids, from plant sources. Plant proteins would include beans, soy, lentils, nuts, and seeds, and a small amount can also be found in rice and some other grains. The reason that the nutrients are harder to get out of plant sources is because the plants have chemical defense mechanisms in place to protect them. So since they can't fight off predators with teeth or claws, they have other mechanisms in place instead to keep them safe. In order for your body to get protein out of a plant source, first it needs to break down the chemical defense mechanism before the plant or protein can be absorbed and broken down. So it's just an extra step. It's kind of like having to break open the shell on a pistachio before you eat it. If you have any sort of digestive issues, you may want to be wary of plant protein sources and try to get most of your protein from more bioavailable animal sources. So anybody who has IBS, Crohn's, or any other sort of inflammatory disease that causes gut issues. And while you can combine plant proteins to make a complete protein, which is why a lot of people eat rice and beans together, if you have digestive issues, attempting to get most or even all of your protein from these plant sources can actually make your digestive issues worse. You can combat some of this by properly preparing your grains, by soaking or sprouting them, but most people aren't willing to put in the time to properly prepare them and would be better off finding animal protein sources that they can eat instead. I'm sure you all are wondering how protein powders or other supplemental protein sources fit into this because that's often the first thing that comes to mind when people think about protein. Not me, I think about steak. So protein supplements would include protein powder, collagen, gelatin, and something called BCAAs, which are branched chain amino acids. And these are amino acids that are specifically beneficial to muscle repair. So a lot of people use these after a workout so they can get their big bulky muscles and to speed recovery. There are two different categories of protein powders. So there's animal protein like whey, beef, collagen, casein, and egg white protein. And then there are plant protein powders like pea, hemp, soy, and rice. As we've already talked about, the animal sources are easy for your body to break down and absorb. But for both of these categories, the source matters a lot. You definitely don't want to go and buy any random, cheap whey or pea protein because if you don't take the time to read the ingredients, you'll probably end up with something that has a ton of junky ingredients and fillers that you don't really want to put in your body. So be sure to look for something that's grass-fed, organic, or otherwise well-sourced. I really like Vital Proteins products, but there are a few others that are really great options too. 
I don't have a good recommendation for plant-based protein because I personally don't do well with any of them, so I haven't taken the time to find a really good quality one. Before you run out and buy some protein powder though, please note that not everybody who exercises needs a protein powder supplement. Protein powder can be pretty convenient for eating before or after a workout, but you absolutely can get the same benefit from eating real food sources of protein. How much protein you need depends specifically on your health history, your age, your gender, and current health status, as well as what your goals are. Also, remember that your body is constantly changing. So just because you're eating a certain amount of protein now and it's working for you doesn't mean that eating the same amount of protein in one year or five years will continue to work for you. You might need more protein if you are recovering from illness or surgery, if you're an athlete trying to build muscle, if you are a kid or a teenager because you are still growing, and if you are pregnant or breastfeeding, there is also an increased need for protein, but it's not as much as you might think it is. You might need to be careful or eat less protein if you live a relatively sedentary lifestyle or if you aren't working out to build muscle. Although I would say that if you are working out for anything other than fun, as in if you have any sort of performance goals, you may want to be aware of your protein intake and err on the side of more rather than less. There is research that suggests that even endurance athletes have an increased need for protein despite not actively trying to build muscle. If you're working on blood sugar regulation or trying to increase your sensitivity to insulin, and remember we talked about this in episode number six, which was all about insulin resistance. If you're trying to lose weight or if you are over the age of 50, you might also benefit from eating more protein. As we age, we lose muscle mass. So that's why those who are over 50 should consider eating more protein because it can help to counteract some of that muscle loss, which will have both metabolic and physical benefits down the road. If you have chronic kidney disease, you need to be aware of your protein intake. I'll link to an article by Rob Wolf about this because I think it gives some good perspective that it's not as cut and dry as if you have kidney disease, you should eat less protein. It's a more complicated issue because things like blood sugar and hormone balance can also affect the kidneys, and some of that can definitely be managed by taking out carbohydrate and adding more protein into your diet. So if you do have chronic kidney disease, Definitely talk with your doctor before you start to eat more protein, but also do some research because lower protein intake doesn't necessarily help improve kidney damage or disease. So next up is carbohydrates. What are carbs? Is butter a carb? 10 points if you get that reference. These days, it seems like people are either completely petrified of carbs and think that if they so much as look at something carby out of the corner of their eye, they'll gain 10 pounds, or they think that carbs are the best thing since sliced bread. And yes, that was an intentional pun. My grandma would have been so proud. And these people are also terrified that somebody is going to make them, that somebody is going to take away their carbs. I can't tell you how many people have blurted out, I'm never ever giving up bread within two seconds of meeting me. Apparently, carbs are a touchy subject for a lot of people. Some people do really well with faster digesting carbs like white rice and other do, others do better if they stick to vegetable sources of carbs. 
And if you want to get super nerdy about your carb tolerance, you should get a copy of Rob Wolf's book called Wired to Eat because he has a whole carb tolerance testing protocol that's pretty interesting. He also takes a look at a big study that was done on carb tolerance, and those results are pretty fascinating. The gist of it, and I'm probably going to do a terrible job of summarizing it because I don't have the book in front of me, but the gist was that we tend to think that carbs like bananas or sweet potatoes are better for us than something like, say, cookies. But this study looked at the postprandial blood sugars, so the blood sugar a certain point after a meal, in a bunch of people after eating different types of carbs. And the conclusion was that some people actually do better with the cookie than the banana. I thought that was pretty interesting, but really the only way to get this information for sure is to test your blood sugar, which might be farther than a lot of people are willing to go. But the practical piece of information to take away from this is that if you feel like you do better with certain carbs over others, it's probably true. And if everyone tells you that you should be eating bananas instead of cookies, but you know the cookie does better for you than the banana, go with what you know. So what is a carb? Anything that doesn't really fit under the umbrella of protein or the umbrella of fat, which we'll get to in a minute, is considered a carb. So fruits, vegetables, grains, and beans. And no, Regina, butter is not a carb. Carbohydrates are made up of monosaccharides, disaccharides, and polysaccharides, which are all various sizes of sugar molecules. All of these molecules make up glucose, fructose, lactose, glycogen, and starch. Glucose is a simple sugar that is generally what your body likes to use for fuel. Insulin, a hormone, is what allows the glucose to move out of your bloodstream and into your cells where it can be used for energy. And glucose is stored in your body as glycogen. And this should all sound a little familiar to you because we talked about this in great detail in episode 6 when we talked about metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance. There are two types of carbs that you'll hear about, and those are simple carbs, which are fast digesting and generally considered to be of a high glycemic load, which means that they cause your blood sugar to increase very quickly. White rice, bread, and plain table sugar are all good examples of these. Then you also have complex carbs, which have more fiber in them, so they are slower to digest and don't cause your blood sugar to increase as quickly. Carbs are the preferred source of fuel for your body. They are not the most efficient form, that would be fat, which we'll talk about, talk about next, but they are the fastest and easiest for your body to use. Your brain also prefers to use glucose as its fuel, unless you're able to switch it over to using ketones by eating a low-carb, high-fat, and moderate-protein diet like a ketogenic diet. You can't just take away all of the carbs and expect your body to start burning fat as fuel. You need to do a little bit of training and transitioning first. So carbs are a great source of fuel for higher intensity but shorter duration exercise. And if you aren't eating enough carbohydrate to support the activity that you're doing, you'll probably start to feel pretty bad and your performance and your recovery will start to suffer as well. Not eating enough carbohydrate to support your activity can also lead to hormone disruption. And I see this a lot with women who are on a ketogenic diet. Women have much different hormone needs than men, and it seems like they just require more carbohydrate to support their bodies, especially if they're exercising. And this isn't true for every woman, but this seems to be the general trend that I've noticed. A lot of times making adjust an adjustment to the amount of carbohydrate that you're eating 
can make a huge difference in exercise recovery, any adrenal issues, thyroid regulation, energy levels, and more. So people who tend to need more carbohydrates in general are athletes, pregnant and breastfeeding women, kids and teenagers, anyone with adrenal issues, people who have lost their menstrual cycle, and if you have trouble recovering from workouts or if you've been on a low-carb diet and you're either feeling worse or you aren't seeing the results that you wanted, you may need to eat some more carbohydrate. If you aren't very active, you won't need as many carbohydrates as the average person because you don't have any reason to need additional fuel. People who would benefit from less carbohydrate, and I'm not suggesting that these people should be on a low-carb or keto diet, but they should be consuming fewer carbs than the people that I just talked about. So those would be anyone who is overweight or lives a sedentary lifestyle, anyone with insulin resistance, diabetics, or if you have PCOS. All right, and last but definitely not least, let's talk about fat. First of all, eating fat isn't going to make you fat. I'm going to say this again because it's really important. Eating fat will not make you fat. The food policy in the U.S. in the 80s and 90s shifted into this low-fat will save your life phase and started to replace all of the naturally occurring fats in food with refined sugars and other additives. And what's happened since then? The obesity rates have gone up even more despite all the low-fat-is-good-for-you propaganda that's out there. So when you remove one macronutrient from your food, you have to replace it with something else because you still need to be able to get energy from your food. And most people and food companies replace the healthy fats and that were naturally occurring in foods with refined carbohydrates and sugar. Because there's this other problem that if you take the fat out of a food, you have to put something in it that will still make it taste good because fat tastes good. So obviously this replacing fats with sugar and other carbs hasn't really done us any favors in this country because I think something like 60% or more of adults in the U.S. are overweight. So what does fat do for your body? And remember that we're not talking about body fat, but the kind of fat that you eat and get energy from. Eating fat helps you, gives you sustained energy, helps you to absorb fat-soluble vitamins. We talked about this in episode 12, where we talked about supplements and getting nutrients from whole food sources. Fats are important in hormone production, and they help keep you satiated just like protein. And they also give you essential fatty acids, which are important for the health of your brain and nervous system. Also, all of the cells in your body have a membrane around them that is made up of fats. Eating the right amount of healthy fats not only helps to slow down the metabolism of carbohydrates, which will keep your blood sugar better regulated, as well as keeping you full longer, but it also can help prevent or slow the progression of many chronic diseases. So what the heck is considered a healthy fat? Monounsaturated fats like olive oil and avocados, polyunsaturated fats like nuts and seeds and fish, and Saturated fats like coconut oil and grass-fed butter are all what I would consider healthy fats. The kinds of fats that are that absolutely everybody should avoid are trans fats and partially hydrogenated fats and oils because these can cause inflammation and contribute to insulin resistance. These include vegetable oils, soybean oil, corn oil, and canola oil. When these oils are cooked at high heat, they can become damaged, which causes inflammation and damage in your body. They can also increase the amount of LDL cholesterol in your body, which is the bad cholesterol, and decrease the amount of HDL cholesterol, which is the good cholesterol. 
And a quick note on cholesterol, consuming dietary cholesterol does not increase your blood cholesterol levels, but eating trans fats and hydrogenated oils can raise your LDL and lower your HDL, which is the opposite of what you want to happen. Also, a quick note on saturated fat and heart disease, that's another fat myth that I think has been pretty sufficiently debunked, but I'm going to link to an episode of the Balance Bites podcast that talks a lot about fats and heart disease and some of the research that was used to make those recommendations because it's pretty interesting and also a little scary how easily those results can be misrepresented. All right, back to why you want to eat plenty of good fats. If you are an athlete, it can be a great fuel source during exercise. If you want to get really nerdy about this, I highly recommend reading Bob Sibahar's book about metabolic efficiency. He's got lots of good stuff in there for endurance athletes. And this might sound like the opposite of everything you thought you knew about sports nutrition, but the basics are that carbohydrates are a quick source of energy, and that can be great for shorter exercise, but if you are running an ultramarathon or spending 6 or 8 or 10 hours exercising, you don't want to be forced to eat every 45 minutes. You would want to consume more fat and become more adapted to burning fat as your fuel source because not only does your body have more fat stores for you to use, but you can also eat less frequently and still have plenty of energy to keep going. And another thing that is important here is to know that if you don't eat much fat, your body isn't going to know how to use it for energy. Sugar and carbohydrates are an easier source of energy, so when you give your body plenty of those, it tends to use that for fuel and doesn't really try to use any fat. And it also downregulates the amount of bile and lipase that it produces, which are what we need to break down fat. So when you don't eat much fat, you'll need to teach your body how to do so by eating fewer carbs and more fat if you want to use fat as a fuel source. But you don't just want to start with a whole bunch of fat. If you've been eating low fat because your body won't be producing enough of the things that it needs to break down the fat when you do eat it, it can cause digestive upset and some other issues if you don't make the transition properly. Going too low fat is a big issue, especially with women, because fat, specifically cholesterol, is the building block for all hormones in your body. So a lot of women who don't eat enough fat can lose their menstrual cycle or have very irregular cycles, the same that can happen if you go too low carb. And because fat is important for your brain, going too low fat can contribute to depression, anxiety, and other mental health issues. The healthiest sources of fat, so those where you'll get the most nutritional bang for your buck, are eggs, preferably pasture-raised, full-fat dairy, nuts and seeds, fish like wild-caught salmon, tuna or sardines, coconut, olives, and avocado. Remember that you want to avoid unhealthy and highly processed fats such as trans fats, vegetable oils, and hydrogenated fats. These, are, these fats are found in a lot of packaged foods, margarine, and vegetable shortening. These are also the fats that are used as used at fast food restaurants, so be aware of that. Also, be sure to read the ingredients on anything that you're eating because you might be surprised at what is in some of your favorite foods. Also, be sure to avoid anything that's labeled low fat because not only will you be missing out on the good stuff from the fat that should be in the food, but you are also missing out on the vitamins and other good stuff that went out with the fat. And chances are that the fat was replaced with sugar or something else to make it taste good. The options for fat supplementation aren't quite as broad as those for protein, but since keto is becoming a big thing, there are a few things that we should talk about. 
First up is MCT oil, which stands for medium chain triglycerides. And it basically goes straight to your mitochondria and gives you tons of energy. So this is why putting MCT oil in coffee has become such a big thing because it essentially turns your coffee into the most energizing thing that you can make legally. There are also omega-3 supplements or fish oil supplements, which are good anti-inflammatory supplements. But a note on these, quality is definitely an issue, especially with fish oil. So be aware of where you are sourcing your fish oil from and long-term supplementation with high doses of fish oil. So I think the threshold for high dose is three grams or more is not generally considered a good idea. There doesn't seem to be any harm from lower dose supplementation long-term, but if you are going to do some high dose supplementation, I have read in several places that you don't want to do it for longer than six months. You might need more fat in your diet if you are trying to recover from a hormonal imbalance, if you have an irregular or abstinent menstrual cycle, if you're trying to get pregnant or are pregnant, or breastfeeding. You might benefit from more fat but don't necessarily need it if you are very sedentary, if you're trying to balance your blood sugar, or lose body fat. But remember that if you're going to eat more fat, you'll need to reduce some other part of your diet because while calories don't matter quite as much as we think they do, at a certain point they do matter. So generally, if you eat a higher fat diet, you should be eating fewer carbohydrates. So now that we've covered what the three types of macronutrients are, I hope that you understand why you need all three. If you are really trying to accomplish some sort of aesthetic goal or have a specific training benchmark that you're trying to meet, you might benefit from playing around with specific ratios of these dietary building blocks in order to meet your goals. But in general, you should be consuming all three. And remember that while calorie counting is not something that I'm a fan of, calories do matter because consistently taking in more energy than you are using will result in weight gain, but the calories themselves are not the only thing that matters. Well, that's all I've got for you this week. I hope that you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, I would be forever grateful if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating or a review so that people can find this show more easily. Show notes for this episode will be available at marthaflorence.com slash episode 14. That's all for now. See you next week or in two weeks. Bye.